start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. The Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio. And with me is Susan Fox, the station's executive producer. Say hi, Susan. Hello, I'm Susan Fox. I live here. (laughs) This evening we have a great show for you. Our guests are Neil Fisher, Neil DeMonte, and Neil Edmund, who are the editor, writer, and artist for a new graphic novel project on Kickstarter right now called The Clan of the Vein about Ian McBain, history's most deadly vampire, turned vampire assassin. Fueled by relentless determination, McBain tirelessly hunts the world for countless centuries until he exterminates every last vampire. A warrior without a war, he takes refuge in an ancient castle on an uncharted island where he survives on an alchemic serum that suppresses his thirst for human blood. His isolation ends when a squad of vampires called the Children of Judas attack. His belief that he had exterminated the vampire menace was dead wrong. The last remaining vampires joined forces to find an ancient artifact that would give birth to a new generation of monsters. The secret of the whereabouts of this lost artifact is locked deep in the abyss of McBain's forgotten past, and his enemies will stop at nothing to force him to remember. Thanks for suffering through that long-winded explanation, guys, but welcome to the show. Doing fine work today. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, well... It's not my fault. They told me it was fixed. Let's start out. Let's have you introduce yourselves. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm Neil DeMonte. I'm the co-creator and the artist on the book. I'm Neil Edmond. I'm the co-creator and writer on the book. And I'm Neil Fisher. I'm the producer and editor of the book. So if we say, hey, Neil... Yeah, we'll all listen carefully. <laughs> Pretty much we'll all answer to it's anything you two, say. Two Neils and a Neo. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a TV show there somewhere. Yeah, it's two yeah. and a Neo. It is a TV show. <laughs> yeah, it's called N-Cubed. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've already got it trademarked. Yep. Oh, that, you do, that's excellent. I love that. Are, you, boy, are you kidding? Really? You have it trademarked? Uh, if, no. If don't, <laughs> no. Not, not, not officially. Because if you don't, you should. Uh, uh, yeah, acting <laughs> trademark, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll register it later. So, Clan of the Vein, I've been looking at the, the Kickstarter campaign for it, and you're off to a, a nice jump start. And uh, uh, I was noticing that some of, the, uh, some of the promotional videos on it from some of the actors are talking about it as though it's a done deal and you're going to make it into a movie. And, uh, but the Kickstarter is for the graphic novel. And I was wondering, I mean, there's obviously some subtext here that, that you haven't printed yet. Uh, well, I, I think part of it is that when you talk to actors and, and people that work almost exclusively in the film business, uh, they're, their initial excitement is, oh, wow, my buddies are making a cool graphic novel that will get made into a movie. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and yeah, they, they might be right. know, that's, there's, you yeah. know, <laughs> well, I mean, we, we don't have any signed deals or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously as a film producer and head of Davis films here in Los Angeles, you know, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I was excited about the project is because I can see it, as a wonderful 
uh, vehicle for a film franchise. Um, but, but that's, that's certainly not, you know, that, that's kind of like the buggy before the horse, so to speak. I mean, I'm right now I'm really most interested in, in getting this awesome graphic novel, you know, finished and complete and out and in the hands of people that will be excited to read it like I am. So have you got all the pencils? Are all the pencils ready to go or or, are those still part of the project uh, to be done? Well, uh, Originally, when we started this, Neil DeMonte and I, this is Neo, um, uh-huh. we, we had planned to do a 22-page comic because that's all the resources we really had. That was the most we could ever possibly get done on our own. Um, now we're you know, looking at the Kickstarter and, and seeing the potential to, to actually do a longer book, you know, a full graphic novel. You know, we haven't decided what the page count is, but we definitely would like to expand that out a lot. Uh-huh. And do a much deeper, you know, cooler story. Because when it comes down to it, you know, the three of us are comic book fans. And we love comics and we want to make comics. And, uh, you know, if we ever get to do a movie, that's awesome. But, you know, we're, we've all been around Hollywood long enough to know the reality of Hollywood. You know, we can definitely get a graphic novel done. Can we get a movie done? We'll see, you know, maybe someday. But uh, right now our primary goal is to get a graphic novel done. Um, the three of us together. Uh, that would be as awesome as anything could be. And so many, exactly. of the, so many of the graphic novels that you see uh, going on Kickstarter, the, uh, you know, the, the first thing that pops into your head, graphic novels, it has to have good graphics, and right. yours does, and it's it's they're really just over the top. It's cool, really, thank you so much. I really appreciate really it. Solid, solid drawing. And uh, uh, yeah, that's that's our boy. That's our boy. Yeah, and, your, and your colorist, the the colorist that you you have, just takes what you drew and and brings it up to more than the sum of its parts. I think Jason oh, Moulton is yeah. fantastic, yeah. and we love him. Yeah, I've been working with Jason for over ten years, and like mm-hmm. we just both complement each other really well. So like it just was like a, a logical choice to bring him onto this project too. So yeah, he just really knows how to like. He, he basically he thinks like the thing about Jason is. Um, to compliment him, I, I wish you could join us here too. But Jason basically thinks like a cinematographer, so whenever he like, whenever I give him a drawing, I think it's going to be one way, and then I get it back, and I'm like, oh my god! It's just I literally half the time I get the drawings, I'm on the treadmill mm-hmm. at the gym. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll pop it up on my phone, and I'll fly off the treadmill, smack into the glass wall, and I'm <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, that's happened. Quite it's a, a, few true times. Story. Yeah. It's a true story. Shane, stop this crazy thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I, have to, I have to race back home to get to my laptop to watch it, and like up on my screen to see it like in full bloom. But it's like, yeah, that's what he does. He just he likes it like a cinematographer. He puts these like effects into it and the, the color choices that he makes, and you'd never think you're getting something like the way that when it comes across, it looks almost like film stills. Well, it's it's uh, so much of uh, so much of what a colorist does is he you know figures out where the lighting's coming from and and how it affects the surfaces and and. Uh, he's really pulling the uh, uh, pulling the two dimensional images off the paper into three D. Yeah, and that's uh, actually why I, like that's why I respect that guy yeah. so much. He just puts things into he this makes me he, the way he colors things. I just never think it's going to look the way it does, and when I get it, I'm always pleasantly surprised, if not more. Yeah, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's I like the pleasantly <laughs> he kind of loses part. his mind and freaks out every time a piece of art comes. So. Yeah, it's kind of like the understatement of the year. So, yeah, pretty much. So but, let's talk story. How long? Uh, uh, how? When did this project start as a storyline, and how long um, was it before you finally got it to the point where you said, "Hey, let's let's do a Kickstarter." Um, well, that's kind of a good question. I basically came up with the idea for it um, in like about uh, 2005, 2006, around there. Mm-hmm. And um, it just wasn't really developed because I'm not much of a storyteller myself. Like I, I like some of the ideas that I come up with, but it just wasn't really flushed out because my basis is more on like flash and like uh, cool ideas and things like that. So um. I was trying to develop it myself and just wasn't it was just kind of like eh and then like I met Neo actually at our comic book group that we belonged to and I was telling him about the project and he was like oh well you know Vampire Hunters that's been done before but then I started telling him about some of the different aspects so I kind of want to have a Die Hard theme with it with like a Die Hard with Vampires project then Neo's eyes mm-hmm. popped up he's like Die Hard with Vampires and then that kind of got him going then like when I kind of told him what I was coming up with he was like well there's really not a story to it and I'm like well yeah but I've got this cool action sequence and he's like well what's the story and I'm like I don't know <laughs> so then like uh, you know Neo being the genius that he is I, oh, he sent me a couple of writing no. samples I practically fell in love and uh, oh. I was like that's it I, I gotta work with this guy and that and Neo if you wanted to answer any questions on top of that as far as the story yeah um, I mean when, when Neil first started talking to me about this it was like 
well, what are we, what, how are we going to do this different? Because I'm a fan of Blade and what Marv Wolfman did with Blade uh-huh. and what David Goyer did with Blade with the movies. And it's like, you know, the Vampire Hunter thing, it's been done. So what, what's unique about this and what, what's going to make it different? And Neil hands me this, this, uh, this vampire encyclopedia which has all these different vampires of the world and all these different mythologies. I've read of about this. There, the are, there are, there are, uh, there are dozens of different types. I mean, it, every culture in the world has its own legend. Yeah, exactly. Yep, right. Exactly. And when I started digging through this and it was like, wow, we could, we could use all these different vampire species in this story and they don't all die the same way. They're not just a stake through the heart or push them into the sun or slap them with some holy water or something. I mean, <laughs> these vampires ha- all die in really unique and interesting ways. And from a, a storytelling standpoint, that creates a lot of, uh, uh, you know, complications for our hero. He has to figure out how do you kill the certain species? Or even once he figures that out, how do you find the item you need, you know, to get that? And then, yeah, you know, if, you're in a, starts- if you're in a submarine... Right, exactly. and, you know, and and you know, how do you find the citrus fruit? Right, I need <laughs> on the I fly. Need oh yeah, yeah. You talked you talked about that in the uh, Kickstarter I video. One one variety of vampire can only be killed if you jam a lemon in its mouth and right. Yeah, yep. that's true. Yeah, and yeah, its head and, uh, explodes. Yeah, exactly. And that's something we've actually actually incorporated into the story. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's like. And it almost creates a uh, a video game sort of situation where it's like, oh, you have to go to this area and collect this item, and then go back to this area, you know. And and we're almost thinking in terms of, and that that, that that's what yeah, it becomes in terms of like game item grinding. Yeah, video game, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's, it's truly a, a you know cross platform potential for you know a, a franchise. Well, that's what I was, you know, I've been. I've been uh, looking at at the news lately, and and uh, you know the the special the visual effects industry is imploding, but the movie industry as a whole is imploding. Uh, we're starting to see things like special screenings where uh, to attend it's fifty dollars a ticket, and this you know yeah that was World War Z exclu- yeah I mean I mean you know um, well I I have a, several comments to say about that the the first one while I'm 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 a I'm an immense fan of both George Lucas and Spielberg. Um, you know, the uh, unfortunately the news, you know, want, wants to make news. Yeah. And that's, so that's and, true. They do And if, so if can, and so and I mean, I've been working it, in the business for 10 years. I I've, I've been working in the business for 10 years and and it's not news. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not news to any of us. I mean, you know, and and the well, predictions, the predictions us. that Spielberg is talking about. While I won't necessarily agree with all of them, and certainly the if you look at the original statements of Spielberg, they certainly were hyped a little bit by the Hollywood Reporter. Um, uh-huh. The just to clarify the, the, for the, our the, listeners, what he said was that that uh, even Steven Spielberg was having trouble getting films onto the you know into the theaters. Yeah, and now that, that and that Lincoln is true. Was, I mean, you know, Lincoln he's talking was, uh, about Lincoln was almost, yeah. you know, was almost on like the History Channel rather than Yeah, it was almost know. a movie of the week. Yeah. And, and, but, and George but, Lucas's know, again, Red Tails almost didn't make it. Yeah, but I mean, did you see Red Tails? Well, yeah, I did. You know, and it was it was uh I mean, I it was, I sort, of, it it was sort of a simplified approach to uh you know, it's where it's where cinematic storytelling was maybe thirty years ago. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, I, I the, think it's a, the, a fair jab at it. Yeah, uh, um, my my opinion is I think it, maybe it's because I uh, my my specialty is um, you know, intellectual property integration, intellectual property integrity, and 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 cross platforming. Mm-hmm. So for for me when I when I see something, I don't, I don't necessarily think in just, oh, this should be a movie. Uh-huh. Um, I think of it as, you know, you know, can it be, you know, I mean, I, I get excited. I mean, I'm, I'm basically a 13 year old kid that gets to run a company, a movie company. So I'm, I'm thinking, oh, action figures, oh, video game, oh, you know, lunchbox stickers. You know, yeah, I mean, multi- those, you know, uh, well, and I'm doing the same thing here. I've I've got uh, a story in development for a web series, uh, and it's well, it's going to be a web series eventually. But we're going to start it out being a radio show because that is absolutely the cheapest medium you can release um, uh, a a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've got aphasia. 
I'm editing <laughs> this part out, guys. Uh, <laughs> a narrative. I'm sorry. That was mm-hmm. it. It's it's the absolute cheapest medium in which you can release a narrative is uh, is as radio. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's all. But you have to start with a, a story that people can get behind and that pe- that sparks people's imaginations. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I mean, and that's it, and it, all Clan of, it, of the Vein. Getting strap. back to Clan of the Vein, that has it's got this written all over it and woven all the way through it. So yeah, you can well, easily that's, see yeah, that's, where, where yeah, that's, what the potential is. Yeah, and that exactly, and that's that's where you know, I mean, it, mo- most films that fail. Uh, and most TV shows that fail, and even most graphic novels that fail, really fail in the very beginning. You know, at at, at the story. I mean, there's there are technical things that can that can pull you out of a movie or less than a movie. But but when when things truly fail, and I'm, and I'm not necessarily saying fail at the box office because that can be not enough people being aware of them of the project. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm talking about fail to resonate with the people that read it or watch it. it it's it's because of of the story, you know, or lack thereof. And you have to get down to the the nuts and bolts of the uh, of the mythology that makes it work. Absolutely, yeah. You have to go back to the Jungian archetypes that drive your characters, and uh, you know, you can't just go back to Joseph Campbell. You have to go back and read what he read. Right, exactly, and, and work from that basis so that you know that you're getting everything on a, on a good, strong foundation. So, um, oh, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, no, but we, yeah, when we were talking about Hollywood imploding, um, I I don't I don't necessarily see it that way. Um, Hollywood is going through changes. Obviously, it's like you know, the DVD market was half of you know of, of really what a, a film company would expect to make from from a film, and that's mm-hmm. not not true anymore. But you know, with every door that closes, there's another door that opens, and and you know, I would say that for like for example, Clan of the Vein, this is a great opportunity for us mm-hmm. because you know we you know we can we can make. A really amazing graphic novel. You know this this one, the one that we're we're doing for our Kickstarter, is just the first issue in a series, um, and you know that that we can that can go on. And then, as a filmmaker, I know I do hope that we can we can get a, an audience large enough that would that would want to you know justify a a feature film. So tell me a little bit about the foundation, you know, the backstory, the the world in which this is this uh, this story is set. Well, we have this character Ian McBain who has lived for, you know, thousands of years. He's a uh, he's a vampire hunter. Um before he was a vampire hunter, he was an artist. Um and uh he wasn't a very good artist. <laughs> so actually he was he was a fairly crappy artist and that's that's something we definitely wanted to focus on and um like a thousand series. years of drawing and you still aren't very good and no this is before he's become a vampire oh, okay i see and so um when he gets turned into a vampire through a series of terrible circumstances he his art changes um and when neil and i were first talking about this we we really thought a lot about what does it mean to be a vampire what is it like to be a vampire how do you see the world how do you perceive the world what is your vision like literally like physically what do things look like through the eyes of somebody who's on dead or or whatever you know and somebody who feeds on blood and is living off you know this this alchemic formula that he's using to keep him, himself alive so that he's not killing people and uh that 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 has a lot to do with his style of art and how his art changes and and why people it's you know become interested in his art oh, throughout history so i mean that that was a big piece of the story that you know got got me excited about working on this was that you know he's a vampire hunter he's out you know hunting the world over trying to exterminate the vampires but he's also an artist and that it brings him a certain amount of worldwide fame and then makes him a lot of money so he can you know go around the world and you know slay vampires and an excuse to travel the world so um, I don't know if that makes sense <laughs> so so so. Uh... 
at a certain point, uh, he's holed up in his castle. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of retired from vampire hunting. Yes. Right. And well, then, he well, was retired because he believes that he has eradicated the world of vampires uh-huh. uh, outside of himself. Right. But of course, he's wrong. Yeah, he would have to be, or there's no story. Right. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a very boring story about an artist, you know, that's gone senile because he's been living locked up in his castle alone for like a hundred years. You know. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so at a certain point. Uh, the remaining vampires of the world find each other, and it, the the mechanism by which they do that is probably going to be an interesting part of the story. Absolutely. Yes, right. that's correct. And, and we don't want to talk too much into that right now, but... Right. And yeah. then they come after him, because he's got something that they want that he doesn't even remember he has. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, he is... The thing is, is that he doesn't remember much of his life before he got turned into a vampire because of the extreme circumstances of his change. Uh So there was a specific incident that we're not going to reveal right now um, that happened at at when he got turned. And uh, something that the vampires want was lost at that moment. And he knows where it is in his memory, but it's locked in there. And essentially, they're drawing him out of his his isolation into into the public, and they're going to subject him to things that will force him to remember whether he likes it or not. Things but, for the memories. Yes, yeah. yes. So a lot of this has to do with stuff locked in his memories and, and clues that are locked within his art. Yeah, and the only reason I said that line is because... You guys and me are on opposite ends of a Skype connection, and there's ah. no way you can throw a tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have a lot of different cultural, uh, a lot of different cultural variances between the vampires to draw upon in the visual design for them, and in some of the slides I saw in the uh, Kickstarter video, uh, there was quite a lot of difference and each each vampire has a very distinctive and equally frightening appearance yes um that's one thing that i was really specific about i mean well you know because i work as an artist and i do concept designs for for film and comic books um i really want to stay true pretty much to the to the uh, to the actual cultural elements of each character per their location and their their region so for example um uh without giving too much away one of the species that we have already talked about is called an ass bassum vampire this creature is a very brutal vampire species, and it has iron teeth, and it actually hangs... It actually is from Ghana, Africa. And that creature actually hangs upside down from trees with these appendage-like hooks on its legs so it can yank up travelers who walk underneath it and yank it up into the trees. So, like, I took that basic idea, because that's what the, that's what the description of the cultural element of for that particular character, but I kind of put my own little twist into it. So my creature has like spines on its back so when it hangs upside down the spines actually can mimic foliage of different kind of trees like willow trees or you know even like joshua trees so when a trap so when a character when a traveler's walk underneath it it can mimic whatever foliage is in that is in that area and it can yank the character up into the tree yeah as a victim i mean in a lot of ways we want to go back to the you know the classic you know the vampires is a monster story and not vampires as you know pretty emo teenagers you know, <laughs> that sparkle in the sun are, are, yeah, like and we are said, vegetarians are, and right they're vegetarians because they only eat animal blood which right. i guess makes them vegetarians but yeah. you know um i mean really yeah we we, we really I'm want to do a big monster you know palooza kind of story you know uh-huh. where, where well, we bring out it's all a these return to the it's a return to the the core of what the vampire stories are all about. Absolutely, they, exactly. they are meant yeah. to scare the hell out of us. Yeah, exactly. Right, because, like we, yeah, because yeah, the vampires. I mean, like in all like the recent stuff that we've seen, vampires are all these really pretty creatures, and I understand that about them being very sexual creatures and very charismatic. But we want to take this back to a brutal time when, like, these creatures are like you know we're we're as human beings, we're their prey, and they're like a predatory species that evolved to take us out, and we are their food. So these creatures are like ugly and they're hideous and they're monsters, and that's what we wanted to bring across with with this particular project. And and that makes an interesting dynamic for our hero too, because he is a vampire, and you know he's trying to survive on this alchemic formula that 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 takes away his thirst for human blood, but at the same time that that is damaging to him. You know, it's it's he's right. He's not getting what he actually needs, so he's over time degrading. He's losing his mind. He's losing his strength. You know, and uh-huh. 
And so when we first meet him at the beginning of our story, he's in a very decayed state, you know, yeah. uh-huh. and he has to, to figure out how to come back to being this powerful hunter, you know, while controlling his, you know, his desire to consume blood. And that's a large part of why he separates himself from the human role and isolates himself is, you know, being around humans is, is the, the worst temptation imaginable. So, um, so it, it's all these dynamics that create this character that has a lot of complications and a lot of demons and, you know, um, that he has to overcome. And, and there's, you know, and also he, and the that. protagonist is a vampire. He is and, a vampire. And yeah, that's, exactly. that's one of the neater things about the story, I think is because uh, uh, you're able to take, essentially, a monster and make him into a, a, a character that we care about. Right. right. And, and uh, you know, I think that just... It goes back to the original core of what vampires are, I think. Absolutely. Which is mm-hmm. just, they are a part of us. They are the worst part of us. Right. So, you know, and it's... it's uh, this is... I think this is why vampires scare us so much. It's because they are we're looking at something that's a part of ourselves that we don't necessarily want to look at right mm-hmm. so yeah. how much uh did you guys like all pool your resources to do the research on on the vampires and and uh i mean i mean this could be just like a uh a, a kind of a thrilling hobby all by itself oh yeah it was yeah. Uh, yeah it was pretty cool like the um before I met Neo, actually, we were uh, like I just I'm I, I'm actually like um, I'm actually kind of an expert on vampires. I know a lot about them, so I've read a lot of books and everything. And one of the books that I specifically want to say thank you to is uh, Matthew Bunsen, who created the Vampire Encyclopedia. And um, I bought that book when you know, like a probably like about ten years ago, I think. I was just going through it and going, "Oh, what's all this stuff?" And I kept talking about these different species and everything too. And I was like, "You know, I've never heard of that before." And I was kind of this is kind of cool. And I really started studying up on all these things. And then, like, when I approached Neil about the project, he got all into it, too. And I got him a copy of the book. And I still have to get Neil Fisher over here yeah. a copy of the yeah, book. Yeah, I too. definitely want to get a copy because uh-huh. I'm, I'm an old-school uh, vampire fan. You know, I read all of Van Rice novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, you know, I, I was playing uh, Vampire the Masquerade literally <laughs> nonstop, you know, through my, my, my entire college life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's probably why I'm not married. <laughs> yeah, like, that's... I prefer I preferred fake vampires over real girls, I guess. At that, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, but yeah, so, know, and yeah, and, and the same thing when you're when you're writing and, and playing role playing games, you know, uh, and, and all all three of us have done that too. Uh, you know, it, it, it one of the most wonderful things about role playing games is the fact that it inspires you and motivates you to go and research whether you're checking out, you know, you know, oh, what, what, what really were the, you know, the, the foods uh, and clothing that were in ancient Roman times or, you know, how did, how did knights in armor go to the bathroom? You know, <laughs> I mean, so, and, 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 you know, and so <laughs> they, no, just they just, just went. went. <laughs> so, so looking up, looking up vampires from around the world is cool. Looking up uh-huh. interesting, you know, even even within Europe and the U.S., looking in like what what some local differences may have been, you know, it, it's it's interesting and and it's all applicable in in Clan of the Vein. Yeah, and I was also like a big fan. Um, I'm obviously I'm a big Anne Rice fan, but also I'd like to also credit uh, Rick Whitley Schreiber's The Hunger. The, yeah. That particular book, I mean, the movie was fantastic too. I love Tony Scott and Rest in Peace. Um, but the uh, with the with Whitley Schreiber's book, The Hunger, that really went into the actual physiology of what a vampire is, and I thought that was so interesting and how they evolved it into a predatory species to humans. And I really thought that was really interesting, which is what actually captivated me to keep researching vampires even more. So did you uh, did you find yourself wandering off into other mythologies? You know, like not just vampires, but Okay, uh, zombies and uh, actually uh, ghosts and apparitions and strange things that people have, you know, like people coming back from the dead. Well, actually, yeah, I did because all of those things are actually derivatives of what the vampire culture actually is. There are different species of vampires that can appear as vapor mists and even like a. There's actually a um, 
for example, with the, as far as like zombies go, there's actually a creature called a revenant, which is which is for example, if you get bitten by a vampire and you survive a vampire bite, there's a there's a very small there's a possible chance you could come back as a revenant, which is basically a mindless decomposing vampire who attacks people. But you don't, but you're, because you're not because you're not you haven't um, had the blood infusion of a vampire yourself, you'll be decaying and rotting away, and your brain will be coming apart too, much like a zombie would. And that's a pretty interesting thing too. So yes, so even zombie rev- vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Neato. Yeah, we're definitely not going for the the typical, you know, you get bit by a vampire and become a vampire automatically sort of thing. These uh these vampires, you know, most of them are just going to maul you, you know. Yeah, they're brutal. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I mean, there's, yeah exactly. It's going to be if somebody's going to become a vampire, it requires the blood exchange, you know, and they get the vampire blood, the vampire takes some of their blood, you know, it's like versus just, you know, oh, I've been bitten, I'm a vampire. It's all very glamorous and Yeah, although a- although Depending upon the species, there may be cer- certain species that that have some other process or some other requirements that that would be in addition to this. So, oh, you mean like if that, you're female, you have that, to have a long, you have to have a slender white neck and a bustier, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah that helps. You have yeah, to be that bitten that under a small. Fires uh, may have to be submerged in salt water lighten. for a certain yeah. period of time. Yeah. So, so, yeah. uh, uh, so much of what people assumed to be monsters were defined for them uh, by whatever religion happened to be dominant in their area. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. did you find this? Did you explore much of this aspect of it? I uh, guess we did actually. Um, like I know, like for example, there's a, there's, a, there's the Greek vampire was the Strix. And uh, that one too, like for example, if you like, um, if a if a vamp if a if a vampire or a cat or something that jumped over your corpse, you'd become a vampire. So if you were so according to their customs, you'd have to be buried in a certain way and prepared in mm-hmm. a certain way. So like for example, you'd have to they would put you in the coffin and they put a spike right above your chest. So if you were to sit up, you'd get impaled and that would and that would make you uh, die back again too. If you were actually like in the coffin, so they do these make little preparations too. Sh- to make too, like, damn sure you were dead. Yes, and right. they bury him with a brick in the mouth and you know, yeah, and they stuff cut, like that. They would cut your hamstrings, remove your head, and fill your body with salt, for example, in other cultures, just to prevent you from coming back as a vampire. But yeah, those are all tied back into the religion of whatever area that creature would come upon. Well, it, it makes you wonder, uh, you know, how many of these people that, that uh, supposedly came back as vampires were really just people who were mistakenly buried and were still alive. Yeah, there was um, there's yeah. been quite a few cases. Yeah, that like I've read in some of the research that we did, where uh, people would literally, they would kind of like pass out or like um for for a certain disease that they would have. Um, even like people who had paraphoria, I think is how you pronounce that. Where um if you go out in the sun, your skin would start to burn. It's like a rare condition that, that's genetic, mm-hmm. and your teeth are kind of like sharpened because your gums are actually receding, but your teeth look like they're actually sharp. So people in the area would thought, okay, the guy who doesn't like to come out in the daytime, who's got receding teeth, that's a vampire. Let's go stake his ass. And that's what, and you know, that's part of the that's part of the thing where the vampire myth came from too. And so these, some of these people could be could have been like you know executed for like for some unknown reason, but then because people in, the, in their area think that it's a vampire when that's not necessarily the case, or people are uh, you know climbing back out of their graves and sure yeah people. Yeah. I, I was reading just this morning about uh, a man in Ireland around seventeen fifteen, I think. So it's a few hundred years back, and uh, he buried his wife and uh you know she was buried in a particular dress and had the wedding ring and uh and the the ring was so swollen that you know on on her hand that they couldn't get it off Uh, Mm -hmm. so they buried her with it and uh some grave robbers dug up the grave tried to get the thing off her hand and they couldn't because it was still so swollen so they tried cutting her finger off to get the ring and she woke up Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, she woke up. She had been in a coma. She woke up, so they they run off screaming. The woman, <laughs> the woman like staggers back to her house, and <laughs> as she's knocking on the door, she hears her husband inside talking to uh, uh, their children, saying, uh, "I know it can't be her, but that sure sounds like her knock." And he opens the door. And there she is, standing there, dirty and bloodied in the robe that oh she was God. buried in. He drops dead of fright. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And then, uh, as the story goes, she went on. She she lived, uh, and she remarried and lived a long, happy life after that. But uh, 
Yeah, ever there after. are these kinds of stories. She remarried. Why wouldn't she just give? Did <laughs> that that poses some interesting questions? And lived happily ever after. That's what's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's the, that's the interesting part. She lived happily ever after after that. You know, but excuse but, to your husband. But uh, was she? Had she legally died? Was did her culture consider her to be dead and reborn, uh, oh. or did they consider her to be a monster? Was she a zombie? Was she a vampire? By their definitions, probably. Yeah, I would or, say. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, mur- murder in, her. You know, try and murder her and say she was dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's if, a complicated story. And that gets back. That gets yeah. back to the stake in the stake in the coffins. You know. Yeah, if that guy had if you you bury somebody, you want to make sure they're not coming back out. Yeah, that's for sure. And it like if you make a mistake, (laughs) you'd rather not have to face that consequence. So let's just make sure they're good and dead. Yeah, exactly. Bury them in concrete. (laughs) So how many how many subplots have you got going in uh, in your story, and how how many handles officially or? How many handles have you stuck in for hanging new stories on to make more graphic novels from? Well, I mean, that that's we're we're starting out with this initial story that we have and we very much like and and we're very excited to tell. And uh but every every time we talk about this, we come up with a new thread and a new <laughs> idea and we're like, oh, what no, if, you know, what works. if we're in Egypt? What if we're in Rome? What if, you know, you know, he's Luke in the Bain, Tro- sailing on a Viking ship. Yeah, or in the Trojan War. What if he was in the Trojan War? Because he's lived for thousands of years. So it's like we can essentially go anywhere we want in any mm-hmm. time in history. Yeah. You know, ancient hieroglyphics. Maybe they were painted by McBain. You know, it's like, you know. Oh my God, he's Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, the Doctor Who of the vampire world. Exactly. Sort of, yeah. Except only moving in one direction. Right, exactly. Time is only moving forward. Yeah, he's that way that we're aware of. That we're aware of, <laughs> but you never know. So, because we're open to all possibilities. But um, I mean, this is just a project that we we're, we love and we're so excited about, and the mythology that we've created. You know, it just it, it opens up infinite possibilities for us. And you know, we're a bunch of boys who who just love the hell out of this stuff. So uh, if we can, you know, <laughs> we, the more the more we can do, the better. You know, if we so can. So do you create... call each other in the middle of the night and say, "Ooh, oh, I have this great idea. What about there are this?" Some, they're definite. Yeah, they're definite <laughs> email chains. Well, Neil DeMonte, yeah, he, he definitely calls in the middle of the night, but <laughs> like five o'clock in the morning. five o'clock in the morning, going, "Oh my god, I got this idea. Let me tell you real bad." You know, he's talking about <laughs> hours. I'm like, "Yeah, it's great." You know, can you can can you call me later? Just send me an email. Coffee. Just a little little bit too excited. Yeah, he's a pretty excitable boy. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we talked a little earlier about um, about uh, where this might. I mean, the the obvious first goal is to get the thing out uh, as a published graphic novel. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm just. Uh, I know a lot of people who have done this, and I still don't know very much about the inner workings of how one goes about getting something like this to press from a business standpoint. I mean, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be an, an amazing struggle to. to... Yeah, it's definitely an amazing struggle. There's there's a couple of comic companies we're we're looking at that do creator owned publishing deals mm-hmm. where you still own all of the rights and they act as the publisher. Image does that. Archaea does that. Those are possibilities. Um, I mean, I I recently published self published a novel um, called Red Riding: Rise of the Werewolf Huntress, and um, I saw the cover for that beautiful. Cover. Yeah, and beautiful I mean, cover. I, I thank you. I I did that one, so I'm very proud of it. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that went out in October, and, uh, I mean, it was the first couple of months of pushing that was really, really tough, you know. But, you know, it started breaking through. It started getting traction. You know, people, you know, a lot of, a lot of people on the Internet, you know, really started coming to my side. And, and you know, I, I had to win people over. But, I mean, that, to me, that's fine. I, I, I'm willing to do the work, you know. As long as I believe in it and I have a passion for it, and I think that applies to all three of us here, and that's why we work so well together, is that we're all willing to not sleep. We're all willing to 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 work endless, relentless, crazy hours to get it done. So, you know, yeah. whatever it takes to get it out there into the world is what we're going to do. And I mean, I, I know a lot about self publishing now. I've been I've been knee deep in it for um, almost eight months here. Um, but I mean, Neil Fisher here is a, a very, very wonderful producer, you know, who knows how to get things done. What, what he did with Sushi Girl, you know, his movie, 
you know, is amazing. You're the you know, guy but, behind Sushi Girl. He is the guy behind Sushi Girl. Yeah. He, oh, he's, he made that whole thing happen, you know? Wow. I mean, so. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm awestruck. Well, you should be. I'm just, yeah, okay. Now I'm flustered because I, I didn't know uh, who okay. I was talking so, to. I, I didn't know that you saw Sushi Girl. So. <laughs> you, and, and, well, and it's it's uh, part of, I think, part of the of why Sushi Girl uh, was such a success is because you handled the social media for it so well. And yeah, you, uh, actually, you were every, uh, I, I need to say everywhere. that. everywhere. Uh, I have everywhere. to say that, um, well, I'm, I'm the producer that was in charge of all the PR and marketing. Uh-huh. And uh, I utilized my mother quite a bit. She was in charge of the social media. So that's yeah. your secret. Yeah, yeah. Mawfish. Mawfish, Mawfish is the secret. Is the secret. <laughs> she is a secret weapon. My mother is, uh, is, I mean, like, I don't, you know, she didn't grow up in the age of computers, but she's a speed reader. And, uh-huh. uh, uh, she it. she went to the University of Iowa as I did uh, and and majored in writing and journalism uh, and uh, was part of the writers workshop program and uh, so uh, she we collaborate in many ways uh, she was actually um, the co executive producer of Sushi Girl she put in some money and then she also helped a lot in in research uh, and. And in you know really handling all the social media, we would team up uh, during certain pushes. We would team up with um, uh, PR companies, you know, basically because they had a connection with with media outlets, you know, and they could they could get interviews on, you know, with, with ET or Variety and things like that 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 Mawfish can't do or uh-huh. couldn't do at the time. But yeah, otherwise. She she is relentless, and you know when it comes to social media, and she it's, loves Planet of Ains. Yeah, and and she's a huge. I mean, <laughs> when I when she asked me like what I wanted to do next, and you know I you know I've got several other projects that I'm working with, and the the her two favorite ones are the Last Unicorn and Clan uh, of the Vein. Awesome. So. Yeah, I just social media doing that doing that background work. Uh, I mean that just stuff just eats your brain. I mean, and it eats a do, lot of time. It, it I mean, does. It's really it's amazing. Just, uh, you know, Krypton Radio is. Uh, we've been around for four years, and only just now are we starting to achieve some notoriety. You know, like within about the last year and a half or so, and uh, the social media has been the the huge hurdle. You know, just just getting the word out and making people aware. Uh, I mean, for my part, I think if you. Uh, if you made it a little more known that Sushi Girl was associated with this project, you know, Neil? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're actually going to. I mean, one of the, um, each of us have um, our own projects that we were doing prior to uh, Clan of the Vein. Um, Neil has already released the first kind of personal tier called the Werewolf tier, in which you can get. Clown of the Vein stuff and uh, his Red Riding, you know, novel and yeah, and I saw I saw that, and that's where I saw and the, so, that's where I saw the so cover. both both Neil and me myself are going to do the same thing with things that that we've been connected with. So probably next week uh, we will see a tier, and uh, you know, an official update and a tier um, that that connects me, uh, Sushi Girl, and Clown of the Vein. And we'll hopefully bring in a video from uh, some of my cast members. That would be. I think that's a. I think that's a great idea. I'm just. I'm just. I'm looking at the cover of this thing. The, and the colors are so vibrant. I mean, I <laughs> haven't seen. I can't remember the last time I've seen a, a cover where, you just go for the pure solid chroma. It's just undiluted, and it just zap it right into your retina. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's nice. uh, that's my boy. That's my boy. My that's ex- Jason Walton. Yeah, so, my, my other man wife. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's a uh, yeah. He's like this. Like um, he actually, uh, he and I met on a book um, called Gate of the East Wind that was d- done by my two friends through Praxis Comics, uh, Doug War and Aaron Mason. And um, we got 
I got hired, well, I got like, I had to do a test basically. They hired Jason as a colorist first um, for doing some pencils, but they weren't too happy with the other guy's pencils. So I got hired, and um, they said, well, let's have you do a test first. We're going to have this guy Jason color your artwork. If, if, it, if he makes it sing, you know, like you're hired. So I did a drawing of this creature with like this flesh being all blown off by the wind, and like they sent it off to Jason, the computer colored it. I got it back, and like, damn near had a heart attack. I'm like, oh my God, who is this guy? <laughs> and from that point on, like, it was like, that's it. it was marriage made in hell. It was just weird. <laughs> it just, I just like the guy just makes my stuff sing. And like I said, he thinks like a cinematographer. So I mean, the way oh, he yeah. comes uh-huh. up with color schemes, it's like I keep thinking it's going to come out one way, but then when I see what he does, um, it's he's like the Janusz Kaminski of comic books. Wow, let's coin that. Yeah, yeah, he's just, <laughs> coin that. He's just absolutely amazing. So, but yeah, thank you for the compliment. He just, yeah, he just knows how to like how to light a scene really well, which is why I like working with him so so much. Well, and the whole Kickstarter campaign uh, is just, it's loaded with stuff that just grabs you viscerally. Uh, like the uh, uh, the incentives. You've got uh, Clan of the Vein Vampire Species Blood Vials. Yes. Oh, yeah. Vampire awesome. Suppressant Syringes. And, yes. You know, that's that's like right out of the story. And, yes. Uh, it is exactly. right out of the story. It is, yes. I love this. I mean, it's, it's you're thinking... You're not thinking in terms of, oh, it's all in the comic book. No, it's in our heads, and stuff comes out, and some of it's going to be on paper, and some of it's going to be real stuff you can hold in your hand. Exactly. And and uh, as long yeah, as you keep just, thinking just big that, kids right? want to play. Yeah. So let's make let's make the stuff that we want. You know that we wished would have been available. You know, in comic books and graphic novels when we were kids. Absolutely. Or heck, right now. Right now. Yeah, right do you, now. Do you right think now. that's an important factor in in the success of an intellectual property? Just I in general. So. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was like the thing why we decided to kind of take that route too. Because I mean, a lot of incentives. I mean, it's it's great to have a comic book and have like downloadable wallpapers, and that's great. But we thought it would be kind of cool for some of the higher ones to actually offer props that are directly inspired by the actual by the actual book property. And um, these are things that like McBain would probably have in his place. Like, why wouldn't he, if he's been studying vampires and studying ways of how to kill them, why wouldn't he have a tube of Asimbasim vampire blood or or um, you know Syrinx blood or uh, you know like Kakuthi blood in his place? He would totally be doing that so we can study the vampires and how to dehybridize them and how to actually strike them dead with like one swing or with with something he would happen to have as a prop. So a lot of the props that we did, and which will be coming up in some upper tiers later on, hint, 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 hint. Um, are props that are directly inspired from the book because we want to have, you know, we want to, we actually want to make our, our, our uh, the people of our potential fan base feel like they're actually collectors. And you actually, you know, like when you actually have a prop that's actually from the book, you feel like you're actually part of something that's actually, you know, bigger than just like a, a, something smaller, which is fine. But uh, we thought like props are actually kind of cool to have, and we thought the collectors out there would really like to have some of these items. And as fanboys, we just ask ourselves, what would we want to have? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's like, what would I would I want to have a you know vial of this blood, the vampire suppressant stuff? <laughs> of course I would. Yeah, you know, yeah. so the, the easy, that's what we're gonna make. The, the litmus test is is you know I call the boys and I say, what about this? And if they go, oh, I want one too. Okay, then we know it's a good tier. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> if, if all of us say, okay, we got to make enough to give everybody else, but we all get one, yeah, yeah. then we know it's a good one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We get one of everything. Yeah. yeah, it's like literally we get one of everything. Yeah. Right? It's all going on my shelf. No, and, and, yeah, and Mopfish also wants them too. <laughs> and Molly, of course. Yeah. yeah. yeah, and think, yeah, yeah. Let's not forget to shout out Molly. Here. Exactly. Well, this is something I've observed, you know, over, over like decades of being an. Uh, a really annoying fan geek myself is that uh, uh, the uh, the most popular shows and the most popular media are things where you can be drawn into that world well enough to feel a part of it. And right. the artifacts from that world are an important part of doing that. So, you know, Star Trek worked on that level and Star Wars worked on that level and Time Tunnel didn't. Right. You know? things yeah. like that so i think it's uh, you know that's just my my observation but i think that's that's the principle that might be at work here absolutely absolutely let the, let the fanboys run uh run you know let the fanboys you know figure out what the fanboys want and not some corporate marketing person you know sitting by yeah. the desk yeah so because yeah. those people don't ask us they just tell us what they think we want and then you know 
maybe they're right, but usually they're wrong. So uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, would you rather have like a you know like a, a you know like a coaster, or would you rather have like a like a piece of the actual prop from from the book, like a vampire's you know yeah, blood exactly. vial? Of so, course, you want the vampire blood vial. Yeah. That's what I would of, want. Of course, you're going to want the clothes. You know, I mean, how right, many cosplayers exactly. are are there out there? The, right. the drawings and designs from these books from from, from this book is going to inspire people. I thank you. I want to see people cosplaying yeah. these characters oh, more too. than anything I can. Oh tell yeah. yeah. Then the then release then release your character game. sheets as part of your uh, as as part of your Kickstarter uh, perks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Co- co- cosplay um, designs. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, want to dress work. like McBain? Here's how you do it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. Dress up and come to Kamikaze dressed like and, McBain. And, and get a free copy. And get a comic. free, yeah, definitely a free copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, dressed like McBain. So, <laughs> if you get your money, let's see, when when is, when, when, are we, we get uh, when are you hoping, when are you hoping that this uh, Kickstarter will wrap up? What's what's your finish date? Well, the, the official date to end is uh, July 14th. Okay. Um, and, and obviously, the most important thing is reaching our goal um, of $25,000. But we, you know, we have already... That's just a couple of weeks away. That's, huh? that's just a couple of weeks away. Uh, yep. 25 days. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's 25, 25 days at the days. time of this recording. If you're listening to this at home now, it's... Uh, uh, it's You've got maybe it's two weeks. Two weeks, yeah, two weeks to exactly go before two it wraps weeks. up. If they hear it on Sunday, if today this recording is Sunday, <clears throat> yeah, they'll have two weeks to do it. Yeah, and um, so no, I'm sorry, three weeks. Yeah, yeah, it'll be about yeah. twenty days. Yeah, they'll they'll have three weeks because it ends it ends on Sunday, July fourteenth. Um, we do have, and and hopefully by you know. By the end of the month, uh, we will have reached our goal. We're really hoping because we have some really great stretch goals that you know if, if we make all we, if we make all the twenty five thousand, you know we have other other plans to increase. You know, make uh, mm-hmm. we've got you know potentially other other cover art, potentially you know ex- expansions to the to the graphic novel. We have other other cool stuff that we can that we'll we'll definitely put in and announce if if uh, if, if once we reach that goal. Yeah, definitely. The more we can raise, the better you know, and more awesome yeah. we can make this book. And we want to make it the best thing we possibly can. You know, this is the ultimate Neil, Neil, and Neo. You know, extravaganza here, and we're gonna put every everything we can into it. Yeah, go so, big or go home. Yeah, exactly. Go big or go home. So it. that's that's uh, that explains why you're you've set your sights on twenty five thousand uh, dollars. I've seen other Kickstarter campaigns for graphic novels where they set the uh, they set the number a lot lower than that. And um, I was wondering if you could comment on why um, what you think the differences are going to be. Well, I, I I was actually one of the one of the people that that looked over the the different kickstarters. I mean, the the primary reason why we're asking for twenty five thousand is is simply if if we want to give everyone their their rewards, their tiers. We had to calculate how much each of those tiers cost and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so you have to add a certain amount that Kickstarter gets, and you have to add a certain amount that Amazon takes. So, so what you have left is what you have to work with, and, yeah, uh, and, and then you have to pay for all of the the, the perks right, out of it. Right, and so and, and so so we basically figured out how much you know if we're if we're gonna make you know between forty and sixty pages of a of a novel, how much is that gonna cost? How you know how many more pages do we need illustrated? How many pages you know total? You know we, we're gonna have to color the whole book. We're gonna have to. Uh, and you know we're gonna have to ink the whole book. We're gonna have to letter the whole book. You know, and then you know how how much are hard covers gonna cost, and how much are soft covers gonna cost. You know, so all these things need to be put in, you know, uh, calculated and put into kind of a formula to figure out what that number will be. Um, and because time will be short, by the time we actually get the money, uh, I mean some of the stuff we can work on now. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, be, you know, because we we've got a little bit of money that we can use ourselves to try and keep certain, you know, like like, like you know, you know, get a couple more pages of coloring going so that we can show something new on Kickstarter and really, you know, help, you know, we maybe we can do an, an additional page or two of drawings, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, we we really need this money to to finish the comic book. And and we would really like to have the comic books finished and printed, and be and have them ready for Kamikaze. Now all the Kickstarter people should get their comics, their versions, their award tiers prior to Kamikaze. Uh-huh. Um, maybe, maybe there are a few a few tiers that require um, you know like, like outside work from from outside artists. That are personalized, you know, where the the the, oh, the 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 supporter would get in contact with us and other artists to discuss what what design they want. So that that might take a little bit longer. But everyone who's ordering, you know, who's basically you know supporting us by by one of the tiers that is is awarding with the book or the calendar or or whatnot. You know, we want to fulfill all those orders before we we mm-hmm. actually go to Kamikaze. Well, and so we have to print up enough books to get all that done. Well, and the the thing that you raised there, the convention, uh, people don't realize. You know, it it's not free to go to those. Uh, you you have travel expenses. You have uh, you have to pay for the booth. You've got to pay for the yeah. promotional yeah. materials. If yeah. you well, want well, to well, luckily, luckily, Kamikaze is local. Yeah, thankfully, uh, thankfully it is, but not yeah, all. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not all conventions are. That we, while we all love Comic Con, one of the reasons that we are choosing Kamikaze is it's 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 a really wonderful convention that, and I'll give I want we need to give a shout out to Regina and Stan Lee and and you know and some of our friends you know that actually work you know at Kamikaze. Oscar Torres. Yeah. Right. So, um, but. <laughs> But we, you know, obviously, yes. I mean, all that stuff costs money, um, but it's also it's a little bit it's a little bit smaller than mm-hmm. than San Diego's Comic Con, and so we, we think that we'll be able to connect more with the people that are there walking the floor and I, and everything. I, I so, but, but we, we definitely there. need to have with that initial Kickstarter money. Uh-huh. We have to have enough money in that Kickstarter to actually print some books to yeah, actually have. Not only just print them, but make sure that you can tell people about it afterwards. Absolutely. I mean, yes. So many of these Kickstarter campaigns really just don't take this into account. They say, oh, well, the goal is to make the book. Okay, we got the money to make the book. Okay, we can't move the book. We're broke. Yeah, <laughs> right. Know? Well, I mean, and it's interesting because I, I, I see both. I've seen... Some Kickstarters that are asking for fourteen, twelve, fourteen, sixteen thousand, and and you know, I mean, and that that question is really, I mean, the I money how much is probably just with? enough to fulfill the Kickstarter request, and they'll be broke by the time they've done it, you yeah. know, and then they can't. That's you know, they, what about book two? You know, I mean, it's it, that book two isn't going to happen because they didn't plan ahead, and then other ones that are asking like forty or fifty dollars, you know, forty or fifty thousand. So, so obviously we're, you know, we're really hoping that 25,000 is a nice, happy medium that allows us to accomplish our goals, uh, and, and, you know, really kickstart a, a comic book series and not just, uh, you know, a one, a one shot. Well, the other thing it does is it shows people that you're freaking serious about this. You know, you're not just a, a, a bunch of fans trying to noodle this stuff up in your garage. You've got plans for this, and you you want the fans to be able to get at this. Absolutely. Well, we, and so, we, yeah, some of our know, tiers, we actually, you know, we'll be offering, uh, and we'll be announcing these shortly, uh, ways that that people can donate, and the tier will actually be to work with us to make uh, them or someone that they want into a character in our comic book. Oh, that would be So, awesome. you know, right so there. if you want to be a villain that tries to kill McBain, you know, you go to that tier and then, you know, you know, via email or Skype, we'll discuss and it's like maybe it's you or maybe maybe, you know, it's it's a your your 
your anniversary present to your wife. You, you, you could auction paid, off spectacular you know, deaths. Any evil that tries to kill McBain. <laughs> you could auction off spectacular deaths. Like absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. That's well. Yeah, you're you're we're thinking the same. Yeah, we're definitely exactly, thinking that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you want a spectacular death by McBain, oh, you know, you it. go. There's the tears. There it is. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. Right into the story just for that yeah. person. And you know? and you know and and obviously again depending upon how well the Kickstarter does, you know, some of those may be in our initial graphic novel, but some of them, you know, if we get overwhelming you know uh support some of those may be in future you know in in a, in the in the in the second comic or the third comic well this and obviously in that case we would we would make sure that they get they get a free comic of, uh -huh. of the one that they're appearing in as well as the tier that they bought well, Absolutely. that's, that's so, the thing about you know working so hard and trying to create something so rich uh, you have a tremendous amount of backstory to write uh, to to give this the substance to make it real. And yeah. uh, well, the other cool thing is also that if we do make a movie, <laughs> some of these characters, all of this stuff is established. Yeah, may, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So someone who because you've already done your homework to develop a, a cool bad guy, they may they may find themselves as a bad guy in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, because you because so at this point you know, I mean, you gotta say you yeah. know for you know I'd be pretty think that's pretty rad if I were a fan and I not only got to be in a comic book but then that 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 bad guy comic book character suddenly made it even even if just in one one death scene in a movie I'd be like oh that's me that's me yeah, <laughs> yeah. someone's yeah. gonna get yeah. want to get paid extra for that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it'll that that I, I that'll just because it's not something that we can guarantee. We can't guarantee there's oh, going to be a movie, even though we really believe that that that's a strong possibility. So I basically, it's it's, it's it's going to be that good luck, that strike of good luck. I'm sold you know? on it. So yeah, I mean, either way, I, either yeah, it's, it's, it's a win-win either way because they they get what they originally invested in, uh -huh. and uh, you know if, if it happens to go further, then that's even better. Well, I think the thing that you're investing in really is the mythos and the story. And Absolutely. it's going to be, yep. it's, you're expressing it first as a graphic novel and then whatever it has the, uh, uh, whatever it has the spirit to turn into after that. Yes. That's Absolutely. going that, to be the real adventure. Put. Yep. That's perfectly put. And that's, you know, we, we hope, we hope it can grow, uh, you know, to be completely cross platform where, We'll be, we'll, we'll be playing McBain in a video game someday. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we're dreamers and we're fanboys. Yeah. You know, and trading we're, card we're game. Reaching, for, reaching for the stars, you know? Yeah. You know, a trading card game like uh, yes! Magic the Gathering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Mick, you know, you McBain on HBO after Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and there was, there was uh, uh, I think it's, is it Sci Fi Channel that's doing that crossover? Uh, Defiance, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a, a sci-fi series, and it's an MMO. Yes, and, yeah. and events in the MMO drive what happens in the series, and vice versa. Yes, uh huh. Yeah, I used to work on a on a on a collectible card game and role playing game that did the exact same thing. Where where the tournaments in the collectible card game would actually uh, affect the storylines and characters used in in the future print you know in, in the updated the expansions and and future versions of the game so you know i mean if 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 you know the players if they all if one if one side tended to win you know then you 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 get i mean it's a cool story i mean it's yeah. like you know if you're if your favorite clan keeps winning yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, and it, so it, it's great because it's win-win for everybody. You know, they get to affect the future of the game. That's their favorite game. You know, and and uh, and you know, that's something that I think we as as creators would love to incorporate into into our comic book and and whatnot is find a way to to you know maybe do something creative online where where people can. You know, do something more than just submit, you know, a letter, but actually do something that we can interact with them and 
and and you know and you know because McBain does have this amazing potential with 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 it really does. interesting uh, fan, long fan historical fic, background. Uh, uh, so forums where people post their fanfic about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, just there's there's all sorts of potential for drawing people into this world. And yeah, it's really yeah. What you're doing. So you're creating this whole vampire. World. Yeah, exactly. You know, and submit it, and you know, let's see. You know, maybe maybe your vampire will appear in the in you know in a, in a future comic. Yeah, how fun would that be? That'd yeah, be awesome. yeah, yeah awesome. Awesome. Based on you, it's freaking amazing. Yeah. Neil Fisher, Neil Edmund, and Neil Demonte, thank you so much for joining us on the Event Horizon, and good luck on the Kickstarter. I well, believe, thank you so thank much. You so much for having us. I think you've got a winner here. Thank you. Thank you. You have just heard episode 18 of The Event Horizon for June 22nd, 2013. Our guests this week have been Neil Fisher, Neil DeMonte, and Neil Edmund, who are the editor, writer, and artist for a new graphic novel project called Clan of the Vein. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and executive producer Susan Fox. This episode will air again on Sunday, June 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry, and the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer and luminary Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2013 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for tonight's episode of X-1. Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.